We all die tonight. Hey everybody, welcome to Crime Over Cocktails. I'm Tiffany, your host, and today I'm going to talk about the case of Christina Gaines and Patrick Fowler. Christina Gaines was unlucky in love, just like many of us. While in her early 20s, she found herself a single mom of a son. Who had special needs. Unfortunately, Christina herself didn't have the best childhood, so she didn't have a lot of family that she could count on. So when her friend mentioned Patrick Fowler, who actually was an ex-boyfriend of hers, she got excited. She wanted to share her life with somebody else. She wanted a family. Her friend had really nothing but good things to say about him. She said he was a great guy. She really hyped him up. The more and more that her and Patrick hung out, she really started to like him. She found him to be a really nice guy, and he was real inquisitive. He was always asking her questions about herself and her son. Every time Christina would ask him questions, though, he was pretty vague. He never really revealed too much of his childhood or his past, really that much of anything. But in See No Evil, she said that his attention made her feel loved and seen. As time went on, Patrick also helped in other areas. He moved her and her son into the house that he had with his mother, his two daughters, and a stepdaughter. Christina told his mom, you know, this is short-lived. I just want to save enough money so I can get my own home, and then, you know, I'll be on my way. She didn't want to take advantage of the situation. They already had a full house. Didn't matter how much she tried, Christina never could save up the money that she would need to eventually move out. Every time she would put some money away, Patrick would find ways for her to spend it. One of the tactics he would use was treating the kids. She said in her interview that she could recall a time when they had $40 to their name. And Patrick got the kids all excited by telling them that he wanted to take them to Chuck E. Cheese. He would do this so Christina would look bad in front of the kids if she had to tell them no. She would always have to be the bad guy. Looking back at it, she figured it was kind of a win-win for him because either A, the kids are going to turn against her, or B, she never saves the money so she can move out. She started noticing that he was definitely trying to take over financial control. Other things that she would notice is Patrick really did not like women. He would view them as property rather than a person. Patrick's sister-in-law came over to the house with her roommate and she was sitting on the floor because of her back pain and the roommate came over and put his head on her lap. Patrick exploded. He was pissed. He called her a whore, and he told her to get out of his mother's house. But his sister-in-law, she stood up for herself. Patrick did not like that. He even threatened to hit her. But his brother stood up and pretty much told him that he wasn't going to do shit. As time went on, Christina started to view Patrick's affection as malicious. When she would go to bed at night, he would wrap his whole body around her like a spider monkey. To the point where it would hurt. He wouldn't even let her get up to use the bathroom. The times when she could eventually get up so she could go pee, 
he would get upset and accuse her of being gone for hours, even though it had literally been like two minutes. And then he'd start calling her a whore. He would apologize when she'd get upset, but he always continued to hold her. Little by little, she started noticing more and more things that just weren't normal. If she took the trash out, he was watching her through the window. During dinner, they had to hold hands. Every time she went to the bathroom, he had an issue with it. Even things just like taking a bath. One day, she could recall wanting to take a bath, just wanting some alone time, wanting peace and quiet. Just as soon as she makes the bath, she can see his feet are at the door. He's standing there. And he's pacing in front of the door. You know, that kind of takes a little bit out of it. So she's like, fuck it. She gets out of the bath and he's like, God, are you done yet? It's been three minutes. Chill out. But he didn't like that. He grabbed her by the back of her head and started kissing her really, really rough. He then raped her. From that point on, she was really scared of him. She felt trapped. She had nowhere to go. One day, Christina got a phone call from a woman, and she asked for her by name. Turned out it was Patrick's probation officer. This is when Christina found out that he was a sex offender. He had assaulted a minor, and then he failed to register as a sex offender. She also found out that he had recently spent time in jail for domestic violence charges. The person that filed those charges was the friend who mentioned Patrick that she should date him. She felt so betrayed because, obviously, her friend had lied. You know he was abusive because you filed charges on him. That's just trash. She also started putting things together. She now knows why he didn't tell her anything in the beginning. It was a manipulation tactic. He didn't want her to know that much about him. But when he knows a lot about you, he's able to push your buttons. When Christina confronted Patrick, of course, you know, he played that he was the victim. The girl in the neighborhood had lied about her age and lied about him putting his hands down her pants. She knew better, though. So that night, she attempted to leave. She got outside, but he heard her, followed her, and he snatched her up. Carried her back into the house, barricaded her into the bedroom, and threatened her. You do that again, I'm going to kill you. She was truly terrified. That's when she learned that leaving was truly not an option for her. Christina's son one day was playing with a handheld game, and Patrick took the game away because he told him it's time to eat. Well, her son, you know, not only is he a child, but he's autistic. So he had a meltdown. He took his game away. And Christina, she defended her son. Patrick grabbed her by the throat and punched her between 10 and 12 times. After doing that, he took off. That's when Christina realized she was going to have to reach out to family. As much as she probably didn't want to, she needed help. So she reached out to her mom, who took her to the hospital. While they were there, they did contact police, but he was gone. While she was still in the hospital... Patrick would constantly try to contact her. You know, he would plead with her to take him back and that he was sorry. I'll never do it again. When he could tell that that wasn't working, that's when he said he was going to kill her. She just wanted him to go away. Just go away. 
He wouldn't. He was relentless. He would constantly call her and he would plead for her to meet up with him. He even offered to turn himself in if she would go and meet up with him. A part of her wasn't sure if this was a trap, but she was just so sick of living like this. And she really didn't feel safe either way. She figured the only way to make this go away is she had to meet with him. He gave her the address where he was staying. And she went. When she got there, you know, he opened the door and he gave her a hug and he started crying. He said he really wanted them to still be together and that they could make it work. She had no intention on making this work, but she really wanted him to turn himself in. She wanted him behind bars so she could have some sense of relief. But now that she's standing there, you know, of course, he's going to flip the switch a little bit. And he told her, the only way I'm turning myself in is if you get pregnant. So he locked the door and she was there for two days, trapped. After that, he did turn himself in. In her interview, she said that she scrubbed her private area with a Brillo pad because of the shame that she felt. It's sad. While he was in jail, she was able to get a nice little house for her and her son. And she thought she was going to be free from him for years. Unfortunately, she found out that he had taken a plea deal and that he would be out in only just a few short years. While in jail, started writing her letters. The first letter that she got, it didn't come from Patrick, though. It had a different inmate's name on it. And inside, it was him stating that he knew where she lived and that he was coming for her. The letter also included a drawing of her house. Could you imagine how scary that would be? She found out that another inmate that he was in jail with was getting out. So he sent that inmate on a search to go find her and to report back to him where she was. And this inmate did it. The letters didn't stop there. They just kept coming and coming. He would even call her on the phone. He was delusional. He would talk to her about getting married, having babies. He'd tell her that, you know, you need to go get a wedding dress. We need a wedding dress for when I get out, when we get married. But she almost felt like she had to play the part. She was so scared. She feared he would kill her when he got out. One morning, Patrick showed up at her door unexpectedly. He walked in and just stood there. She was absolutely petrified. She didn't even know he was out. He puts his arm around her and he whispers in her ear, Are you scared of me? She didn't want to give him that power, so she just told him that she was really excited to see him. Within a month, everything got really bad. The only way Christina knew how to cope was to drink. She was drunk every day. And all that would do is just piss him off. Anytime she'd give him any lip back, he always retaliated. The last time, he went for her throat and wrestled her to the ground. She was able to get free, but he grabbed a butcher knife and came after her. He put the knife up to her throat. He told her, this is your fault. You are the one making me do this. That's when he told her, we all die tonight. He then kissed her and told her that I'll never not love you. See you in the afterlife. That's when Christina was able to get him in the groin area and run away to get help. He was arrested, but he got another plea deal. The district attorney called her and asked her to come in for a meeting. And that's when they told her that Patrick had only gotten two years in prison for that. 
She didn't feel protected. Two years? What is that going to do? The last time he was in jail, he still found a way to stalk her. I mean, when you can stalk somebody from behind bars, that's scary. She told them, remember me, because you're going to release a monster. If when he gets out, he can't find me, he's going to kill somebody else. They promised her that they would warn her when he was being released. She wasn't taking any chances, though. She picked up and she moved again. She didn't want him to be able to find her. Well, Christina was never notified when Patrick was let out. He went straight to that house. He had only been out of prison for three weeks. Three weeks when he had stabbed his new girlfriend and her four-year-old daughter to death before setting their house on fire. Patrick did initially confess to the murders. He told police that him and Jessica got in a verbal argument, and he felt as if he was being disrespected. So he grabbed a knife and went to the girl's room. He grabbed Jessica by her hair and asked her to just talk with him. When she demanded that he back off, He slid the knife across her chest, and that's when she was stabbed multiple times. After that, he turned the knife on her four-year-old daughter. He said he watched as each of them took their last breath and that he had thoughts of killing himself, but instead, he set the house on fire. He wasn't able to find any lighter fluid, so he took one of Maddie's coloring books and lit it from the stove and then threw that in the room with the bodies. After setting the fire, he walked out the front door, taking the Easter candy with him, and that he did not feel bad for any of the decisions that he made. Of course, when it became time for trial, he was singing a different song, and he said that he felt bad for what had happened to them, but that he didn't do it. In April, he was found guilty of two counts of first-degree intentional homicide for the murder of Jessica and Madison. On May 5th was his sentence hearing. Originally, he thought he was going to sit that one out. Everyone decided that he doesn't get to make that decision. So instead, they brought him out strapped to his wheelchair in bright orange jumpsuit and braids. He gave himself devil horns. When the victims had to do their impact statements for sentencing... There wasn't a dry eye in the house. Little Madison had just beat cancer two months before being murdered. Prosecutors tried saying that Patrick had a difficult upbringing. His defense was his childhood. He tried stating that, you know, he had a difficult childhood, difficult upbringing, and a life of incarceration. That since his relationship with the law began at the age of 12, it restricted him from growing as an adolescent. They also stated that he was recently diagnosed with a personality disorder. Patrick was then allowed to speak. The victim's family had to listen to him try to say that Jessica allegedly had a battle with drugs and he had nothing to do with this murder. And that now he has a negative reputation in the eyes of the public. He said, falsehood has been spewed about me. I forgive everyone for the wrong they have said about me. He ended up getting sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. He never showed any remorse. And he still maintains his innocence. 
Fox 6 News reported that they spoke with the grandmother of Fowler's two children. She told them that Patrick went to her daughter's house after he murdered them and forced her to help him. She stated that Patrick threatened her and said that if she didn't help him, that pretty much he was going to kill her and their kids. So her daughter helped dispose of his clothes against her will. Now, the mother of the two children is now in jail for her alleged role. I haven't been able to find anything else on that. I'm not sure if that charge stuck, but this goes back to why did he keep getting let out of prison? He never did his time. Christina was never notified when he got out. These are problems within the justice system. Why do we keep letting these people right back out on the streets? Half the time, they don't even do their sentence. We're not teaching them anything, but you get a slap on the wrist. They need to be held accountable. There clearly are patterns here. Not only is he a sex offender, but he's violent. People like that do not need to walk among us. Luckily, now he's supposed to never see the light of day. But two people, two innocent people, lost their lives because of it. He never should have been out. 28-year-old Jessica Ellenberger and her four-year-old daughter, Madison Marshall, would still be alive today. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you're gonna let these people back out on the streets, we need to know where they are. We need to know what they're doing. We have to watch them. People like this don't change. This all happened just months after he went to jail for Christina. He's already out, and now he killed two people. The justice system needs to be changed. These predators need to be taken more seriously, and we need stricter laws. Make sure you are liking, following, subscribing, leave a five-star review, whether you're listening on Spotify or Apple. Also, there is a website called Podchaser. You can also leave reviews on there. I want to know what you think. What do you think about this case? What do you think about the friend who pawned this guy off on her, knowing that he was a bad seed. Head over to crimeovercocktails.com. That's where you can listen to episodes, check out the merch, or if you want to help support the show, follow the links, and there's many ways to do so there. All right, you guys, we'll talk crime another time. Bye. Bye.